the cup and the leaf all to be won. Everyone knows there's a job to be done. And with a team so fine, I'm proud they're mine. We'll be singing the song. Dunfermline Athletic Former Players Association podcast is sponsored by Starna Apparel. Affordable and stylish clothing born on the terraces. Visit their website, Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Walking Down the Holbeef Road, the podcast brought to you by the Dunfermline Athletic Former Players Association. Complementing the excellent video interviews currently done by the Heritage Trust, in each episode we will speak to a former player delve into their career in football and especially their time spent at East End Park. I'm your host, Mikey Mokiewicz, and in this episode we speak to a cult hero from the late 90s. He was the last player to score in front of the terrace in the East End Park before the stadium was redeveloped the following season. He also broke the hearts of Celtic supporters all around the world. Well, for one week anyway. So sit back, grab a bovril and enjoy this one. Like an orchestra leader there, and that is just drifting towards him. It's a goal. The Dublin have equalised. Falkenbridge, the 19-year-old from Coventry, is about to spoil the party. Out of the blue, you can hardly believe it. It's his first touch of the ball. It looked about Jonathan Gold. It's not a shutout. The very opposite, and now. Suddenly, out of the blue, came the equaliser. You cannot take chances when you're 1-0 up. You've got to go and finish off. They're too defending. They're far too deep. We've seen Janssen's actions. He was telling to get further up the field. With the hem in there. It's a wonderful header. He's been a little fortunate. It's found the back corner. It's a wonderful header from the kid who's just on. But this is what happens with them firmly. They get a lift when they, the style of play suits them. And Celtic starting looking a little bit tired, but their manager was calling before that goal. They should have been further up the park. Craig, thanks for joining us on the podcast. Uh, how are you doing? I'm, I'm, I'm magic, matey. I'm, I'm, um, it's, uh, a, uh, it's been it's been a roller coaster um, last sort of four or five years with sort of sort of staying in the game, coming out of the game, going into coaching and doing bits and pieces. But uh, right now, um, everything's magic. Superb. Well, it's great to speak to you. It's been a long time since you've probably had any conversation about your time at Dunfermline, so we're looking forward to it. Uh, it's funny. It's funny enough um, uh, when I had Twitter, um, they had I got sent a link from. So I get, I, I get reminded about the day that I scored against Celtic, yeah. Um, and some some very kind and firm new fans sort of dedicated that day as Craig Falkenbridge Day, which yeah. um, they remind me on the or used to remind me on a, on a yearly basis that that was the day I scored against Celtic, which is for me was it was such a symbolic and magical sort of time because it was my first ever professional goal. Of course. Yeah, we'll obviously touch on that throughout the, the podcast, but starting right at the beginning, you're an Eaton boy just outside Coventry. So so what was growing up in Nuneaton like and your experiences of playing football as a kid? So I began playing football at about eleven, so properly sort of into a into a team at eleven and twelve. I wasn't really sort of nowadays you get kids that are sort of four, five, six that um are mad keen. I think and I think there's almost it's almost like the uh, the parents have a lot to do with that rather than the children wanting to play. But I started, yeah, eleven. I was in a little village outside the Eaton called Ansley Village. There wasn't a lot of access to anything. You had everything had you had to be driven everywhere. So the village itself was quite. It was lovely. You know, there's a lot of like a lot of a lot of good friends in the village, but I was really the only massive major sporty person that lived in the village. So it was kind of tough to get everyone together however my first sort of memories of football were 22 23 aside 
uh, in, uh, in the local park when you had sort of 18, 19 year olds playing against or alongside uh, eight, nine and 10 year olds. And, and you did well just to, if you if you if you went past one of these older lads to not get your, your legs completely taken from under you. Um, and it was, a, it was a massive baptism of fire into football. Just playing it, playing it, and it, yeah, it was it was like 20, 22, 23 aside. Um, you very rarely touched the ball, but if you did, you kind of thought, "Oh my goodness, I get rid of it quick, um, otherwise I'm going to get um, get seriously mangled." <laughs> we'll, we'll touch on it later. Obviously, you're involved in, in youth football now and coaching, but do you do you think that's missing from kids growing up nowadays playing football in the streets and the fact that you're um, playing against older kids? And you know what, um, I look at football now and. It's it's pleasing because there's a lot of organised football, but the fun elements of football um, and that just just grabbing a ball under your arm and and being able to be trusted to go, you know, walking 500 yards around the corner into a park and and, and there be no real parent uh, intervention um, or or supervision. You can you you grew up fast. You you had to grow up fast. I know there was you know there's a lot of stuff going about in terms of you know there's 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 safety issues, but. You know, I just love going out and playing. You know, you wanted that, but you wanted as a kid, you wanted that freedom. You wanted the freedom just to go and just be a, be a kid and, and mess about and, and get get up to mischief. And I think that's kind of gone now, where it's all more a lot more organised. Or you can't do that. You mustn't do that. Or don't do that. Um, oh no, we'll do that when we've got time. We'll we'll book we'll book an appointment for three weeks on Tuesday to do that. Um, and I think it's it's kind of it's losing a little bit of its its freedom. Well, the freedoms yeah. are gone. Yeah. So obviously you, you were involved in, in football as a kid. You, you get the opportunity to sign with, I, I presume Coventry would be the local site in Nuneaton. It was. Well, funny enough, when I started playing at 11 and 12, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't very good at all. I had very little uh, technical ability, but I was really enthusiastic. So I got picked up. Well, wasn't good. I didn't get picked up. I went. My dad got me into a Birmingham City development centre. Uh, we went over right. on a, I think it was a, a Thursday evening uh, once a week, and I picked up some real. You know, that was when I started to pick up my technique, the technical aspects of football, really quickly because there were some really good players there, and you can tell they've been there for a number of years. And I was sort of starting a little bit later than they'd done, but you, you pick it up, and then within two, like sort of twelve months, eighteen months, um, I remember going on a. Um, a football tour to to Holland and we won the tournament and I scored the winning goal in the final and it was like oh you know we, it, Craig's mate you know all, all the dads were talking to my dad on the way back and I just remember conversations like, oh you know they're definitely going to take you on next year you've got no problems whatsoever and I got released bump I, I, got, I got let go um, and that was my first experience of of being told I wasn't wasn't good enough uh, and that was sort of around 13, 14 so it was quite a hard harsh mm. um sort of experience how did you deal with uh, that at that age well f- funny enough i just i went I went back to uh, i had really really good under uh, you know um grassroots sunday team um and i was playing for the county and, and the district on a saturday so my football was not really affected at weekends and when i went back to the sunday team they welcomed me back in and there was no weirdness there was no always oh, come back oh he does you know that type of stuff it was in you come back in, and we 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 kind of hit the, the ground running. I mean, we had players like uh, Mark Bridge Wilkinson who went to Derby, and um, Paul Vale and John Curtis who went to Manchester United in our team. Um, and there was two or three others that went that were involved in Stoke City at a younger age. So the the team itself was was kind of dotted with players that have been at development centres, and but also going on that journey of. Um, into into professional football in professional clubs, so you can't. It was it. Was, they were just dotted here there in the team, and it was you know we didn't think anything of it at the time. But then, you, like like with any any profession, you dot you know you, get, you if you see someone with standards around you, you don't necessarily take notice consciously, but your subconscious is going, mm, yeah yeah yeah, I like the way he does that, or I want to try and do that. And we all just bounced off each other, and I ended up over two years sort of really sort of focusing on just just I wanted to I wanted to be a football that was it I, I make, made that decision that you know um, I got let go by Birmingham and, and I wanted to, I wanted to go back in whatever I had to do to do it so I, I just I was just training every day every single day two three hours a day just just hammering the techniques every day 
And at 15, I got picked up by Coventry. I was, they come to watch two players in the team, not me. He stood with my dad, didn't know he was my dad. And the guy was like complimentary about how I was playing. I, was, I think I scored a hat-trick one week and then two the following week. Um, and the third week, he said, no, no, I'm not taking them. I'm going to take, take, take you, take me. And I went to Coventry and that was it. Sorry, did you have opportunities to go to, to other clubs or was it just Coventry that... Um, no, I mean, to be honest with you, I kind of got put into a, not bubble, so to speak, but I, I didn't I didn't want to go and leave the, the Sunday team. I was quite happy where I was. It would have taken something pretty much. I, I wasn't like on a journey to go here, there and everywhere. I, I just wanted to play football and enjoy it. And I think that's what um, attracted them, them, them to me. Uh, and I think from that point of view, once I went into... Coventry and spent the under 16s with them. I then took that into the under 16s, and and then it was um, it was great. We we're playing against Leicester and and Aston Villa and, and teams like that, and it was it was it was a real education. Yeah, and obviously joining Coventry, a massive club, Premiership club at the time. Who who were the kind of players that that were kicking about at, at Coventry during during that time for you? Well, when I first joined in, in the youth team. Dion Dublin had just joined and you had Darren Huckabee was on the way in towards the end of my youth team. Noel Whelan, young players, Peter and Love, who was who was just the nicest fella ever. You know, and there was a real nice uh, integration from the the senior pros to the youngsters. I mean, we just loved being around them. It was nice to watch them train. And also, obviously, when we trained and got the opportunity to go and train with them, it was like stars in your eyes type of things, you know. You just, you just sort of went, "Oh my god, I really want to do well and 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 impress them." And then eventually, they 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 know you as you. So when when Dion turns or Dion Dillon turns around and says, "Oh, folks, you're going to come and train," I'm like, "Oh my god, he knows my name," you know that type of thing. And you do get a little bit starstruck from these yeah. people that are just, you know, so good at what they do and and they're such idols and they they treat you with with that respect. And I remember, I remember. Um, and I'll, I'll bounce forward, but I was obviously when, when after after I, I went to Dunfermline, I went to Hull City on loan, and Dion was at Aston Villa, um, and we played Villa in the FA Cup third round, um, and I played in that game. He he didn't play, just left Coventry, and I, I I remember after the game going into the shower and having a shower, and I just heard his voice saying, "Folks, any danger? I'm waiting to see you." And it, and it was like, "Oh my God!" You know, he just he'd come down. And come into the changing room just to see me and say, you know, well done, you know, young, you know, young, young lad going and doing that. You've done amazing. Well done, you know, that type of stuff. And I really appreciated that. It was one of those things you just always remember that he said, oh, hang on, what, you know, I'm hanging about for you. Don't, you know, don't drag your feet type of thing. So not yeah. that I knew it was there. I, it just, it was just a yeah. nice surprise. Brilliant. And what, what was your memories of Highfield Road? Obviously the stadium no longer exists, sadly, but it was a, it was a yeah. great stadium, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, quite. We as as apprentices or as YTS as it was, we had the job of preparing the Saturday's games. So we used to take all the stuff down to the stadium on a on a Friday, take all the Lucas aids and the kit. Used to put them in the changing room, um, and then we we'd play in the morning at the Sky Blue Lodge our games. And then if they're at home, we'd then all scurry over to the ground and watch the first team in the afternoon. We'd we'd be outside the changing rooms. Supporting and and you know whatever the, you know, the gaffer needed or uh, or the players needed, we were there on on hand as YTs to help out. Uh, but it was yeah, it, yeah. That, I take it as a as a young as a young guy, is that quite surreal sitting watching the Man Uniteds and Arsenal's and Chelsea's coming to Highfield Road at the time and thinking that that might be me one day playing. Well, ironically, it wasn't long after when 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 they used to play Man United, we all. Ferguson used to walk down the tunnel and say, "Listen, leave out, leave my players alone. Don't ask for, you know, don't speak to them." But they were not much older than us, you know. They were probably eighteen, nineteen, as we were sixteen, seventeens. And you know, thinking these kids, that, that, but I didn't think they were kids. You looked at them as, as as established players, but they were only sort of two, three years older than us. And you thought, "Wow, this is this is it's amazing." But I didn't see that. I, I've never sort of connected the dots as to think that that could be me next. I always thought, well, I'm a YT and I knew my place. Um, I think that was one of the things I struggled with was to break out of that mould. Once I got into professional football and, and I was a pro, there was no problem. But when, but it was almost like, no, you're a YT, you stay where you are. I think that's the mentality 
shift that a lot of youngsters don't necessarily see as the most important step is you've got to see yourself doing something to be able to do it rather than just going, well, I'm here, I'm accepting where I am, you know, I'm happy where I am. Whereas you know, a lot of people would have been happy being a YT at Coventry in a Premier League club. Um, there should, you know, there, there needed to be that. I don't want just want to be a YT, I want to be a pro. Yeah. And then you get the opportunity to to go out on loan. How, how does the, the move up to Scotland come about to join Dunfermline? So, oh, I forget the season now. Was it 99? 90, was it, was it 97, 98? 97, 98. So, I got injured in 97. So, I'd just come out of the YT. I was a first year, first, it was a first year pro. Wasn't, yeah. So, I was 18, just 18, nearly 19. And... I got injured at the start of the season. So I had, a, I had an amazing pre-season uh, with the first team. So we were all together in pre-season and, and I got myself really, really fit. The squad got put out for the first team game on the Friday and, and I, my name wasn't on it. And I thought, I, but we all trained together and I thought, I thought I'd kind of make, Dion was struggling with his knees. He had a problem with his knees and stuff. And I thought I might, this might be the opportunity that he just goes and throws me in. And it didn't. So I trained on the Saturday morning before the game and I, my knee buckled in the morning. Uh, my left knee, I, I, it kind of bent back on itself and went, I almost went further than it should have done. And I split my cartilage in half and I didn't know I'd done it. So I tried to recover and, and my knee just went, and then I couldn't bend it. And then at night I was, I was in a lot of pain. So I had it repaired and I was out for three months. So when I got back, probably around sort of January, February time, Strachan was uh, was was like we need to send you out on loan. Let's get you out on loan. So the the move came about for me to come up to Scotland, and it happened within sort of a day, literally a day. I was it was round about deadline day, and he and he said, "Go on, go 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 and have the last six seven games up in Scotland. You know, you'll play you'll play, and you'll 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 get your chance, and I enjoy it, and then come back down, and we'll see where we go." Um, and that was it. I was within twenty four hours on a plane. I was up to Scotland. I met. Um, uh, Dick Campbell, and that was it at the airport. Yeah. Took me to a the hotel, and uh, next day I was I was sort of training with with Dunfermline. Superb. We were actually with Dick Campbell last week, and he was asking for you, so he does say hello. Oh, nice. Oh, fair play to him. Yeah, I, I'm um, so Dick and um, and Bert. You know, great guys. You know, looked after me really well up there. I think it was just a shame. I think at the time they were trying to move Andy Campbell on, weren't they? Dunfermline. I think they wanted to get some money for him because he'd had a really good season. He scored a lot of goals. Andy Smith. Yeah. Andy Smith, sorry. Andy Smith, sorry. Yeah. So he, I think they were trying to get a lot of money for him, weren't they? Um, and it just didn't materialise. So I think I was yeah. potentially going to be that player to replace him when he got moved on. And then it was a case of seeing what happened after that. So, yeah, yeah I think it was just unfortunate circumstances that they, mm-hmm. that he didn't move on. I mean, I, I, I don't know what happened with that, to be honest with you. When you hear sort of changing room chatter, you can see, you can sense he was disappointed he didn't move on. Yeah. So you signed for Dunfermline, we'll touch on Andy Smith now a wee bit, but you signed for Dunfermline on the 25th of March, 98. <clears throat> you then made mm. your debut on the 28th of March against Glasgow Rangers. Mm. So uh, you were touching <laughs> at the deep end there. So what, what's your memories of playing against Rangers in your debut? So obviously I didn't start. I came on and obviously Gascoigne was playing and uh, Loudrup was playing. And I remember Ali McCoy, as I came onto the pitch, he went, good luck, young'un, as I come on. And because obviously these kids, you know, they know I'm a young lad. They obviously haven't seen me before. You know, they've obviously know about all the players in 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 their when they do their pre-match thing. So it was it was nice to hear that. I, I had a I had a chance to score. I think it was I think it was it did it end up three three, didn't it, that game? It was I think it was three two to Rangers. Three, I think two, three, scored two. twice. Yeah. And I and I and I had a chance to score the third and make it a draw. And I think I either hit the post or it went wide and I was at the back at the back post and I remember it sort of to, almost to the day where the ball come across and it come across quite quick and I've just tried to sort of hit it and I think it hit the outside of the post and went wide um, and I think that kind of set up a melee of sort of things in the next two or three games where I'd either hit the post hit the crossbar you know there was there was there was chances galore that were just unfortunate you know an inch or two the other way and I could have ended up having sort of four or five goals 
in a very short period of time, but it just just didn't just didn't sort of um but just didn't go my way. Yeah. You mentioned Andy Smith, he scored twice in that game. So mm. that, that that season he was on fire. I think he hit about he was, 25 yeah. goals. But you mentioned the Rangers team there, some of the names that, that was playing that day. So you had Jorg Alberts, Brian Loudrop, Gaza, Reno Gattuso, Marco, mm. ne- Marco Negri and Ali McCoy. Like superstars up here in Scotland. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And like I say, I see when I've come on in games in that nature, I've not really... I, I think if you ask any any player, that is, you don't... You let it go because you know what you're on there to do. You're on there to do what you've got to do, and you're a player. Um, you kind of before and after type of memory and reflection, and uh, and it's it's you look forward to, and then you re- you reminisce. But I think during everything just just changes, and you know what you're at. But, I mean, some managers say some occasions get too big for players, and it's then when you start to then have that peripheral vision, you start noticing things you shouldn't notice, and then you, then your concentration goes. But I think under the circumstances, it was just it was nice. It was it was it was it was actually actually felt really welcome into coming into that team, and it was it was a really nice experience. What what was the dressing room like, Craig? When when you come up to Dunfermline, how how did you find it? First impressions and stuff. It was really really positive. You know, the boys um, welcomed me in there. There was there was probably four, possibly five um, English guys that came up. So you had Hux and Butler the goalkeeper I think that was possibly the following season but there was four or five of us that that came up from England and it's it was nice to have that with us because I was so young I had I, I didn't know anybody up there and the two two I, I had amazing families that that, that, that I stood with um, stayed with I mean they used to call me uh, sunshine because <laughs> I, I was always smiling that's the you know I always always smiling always happy or always trying to be happy so it's just nice being welcomed I think the names were Bob and Avril Bob sadly passed away last year I, I know he did sadly I'm mean, I still I'm still sort of half in contact with Avril and yeah she let me know and yeah it's really sad really sad um, time yeah so we move on from your debut and then a few weeks later, obviously, there's a massive game uh, building up at East End Park, which was on the 3rd of May, 98. So what, what was your memories of that that kind of week building up to the Celtic game? It was quite calm, you know, from from uh, from, from our perspective. We had, um, we had nothing, we had nothing to fear because there was nothing on it for us, really. It was all on all on, all on Celtic's head, really. They, they, they had the opportunity to win the league. There was a lot of, a lot of, sort of um, tension and everything on the day but I can't remember it being I can't remember it being um, overwhelming in any way for all the players and to then to be honest with you remembering how it all you know the stadium as it was and it was rock, proper bouncing proper rocking um, on the day it was just you I actually felt the energy from it it wasn't like oh yeah you, know, you shrink down and you say oh I don't want any of this it was like oh you know you, you did you, you felt that energy from 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 both sets of fans and, and both the teams right and then on the day obviously I can remember it myself it was a scorching hot day mm. perfect day for football and then the stadium was jam-packed with, with Celtic supporters and I, I don't know if you were aware at the time but it was the last game in front of the terraces at East End because obviously the stadium was going to be redeveloped yeah that's right yeah so you you scored obviously the the last goal in front of the terraces, which yeah, I mean yeah, because they they built the stadium, the stand behind it, didn't they? It, it, I mean, it was. I mean, so, I mean, so, I mean, Celtic were a cut above that you could sense that they. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, the players they had on the pitch that day, you know, it was it was just a night. It was nice to be on the same pitch as as, as the legends that were. Um, and but no, taking nothing away from from the um, from the Dunfermline players because it, you know there, there was this this togetherness this this bond of of you know that we it, we we weren't going to lie down and take it I didn't know but you know based on on the historical sort of past two or three games that I've been involved in I knew sort of I'd be potentially brought on with the last sort of 10, 15 minutes to go so I was always sort of looking at that period you know unless there was an injury. Um, I wouldn't. I wasn't going to be sort of coming on, but yeah, coming onto the pitch was just was, was so weird. It was, like, it was actually my first touch, I believe. So I hadn't touched the ball for two or three minutes, and then it was my first touch um, wow. that scored. And the funny thing was, I because I knew Goldie from from Coventry, so um, Jonathan Gould 
came up to me after the after it. He said, "Said you haven't meant that," and I thought, "Yeah, because I, 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 you know, I'm not going to try and score from ahead." <laughs> and I thought yeah, that's a bit of a weird comment to make, but you know, he, he was a friend at Coventry, and you know, he's, he's he's a nice guy as well, Jonathan. And I think from that point of view, he just just genuinely gutted that they hadn't sort of finished the job on the day. But you know, yeah, it was, it was nice to speak to him afterwards as well. Yeah. So you obviously you're just a young guy. It's your first professional goal in football. So you must have been on cloud nine at full time, and that evening must have been must have been pretty good for you. Well, it, well you know what? I um, uh, my mum, dad, brother, um, and his friend come up um, to watch, and they're in the stand, so they've obviously all seen it. They're, my mum and dad were mental. They they, I remember starting the game the following season against Dundee um, and they drove just for that evening game and drove back after the game and I think they got home at four in the morning or something um, the following so they were in the stand yeah I mean it, I didn't it didn't quite sink in I was in I was, I was in the change room afterwards and, and um, the players saying you don't realise what you've just done and, and it's like well yeah <laughs> you've got a great feeling you know but, they, but, but because I hadn't sort of grown up with the team and grown up in Scott with you know Scottish culture obviously you're aware from a distance what what it means between the two two uh, Glasgow, Glasgow clubs but you don't really know what it's like you don't live when you when you live and breathe it I, I assume it's it's a very different kettle of fish and when you do affect one of those outcomes then yes I've been you know it's I, I mean as time's gone on I've been I've been reminded you know do you remember how significant the yeah, I, I I do. At the time, I was nineteen. I very wet behind the ears. I had no real knowledge and and perception of anything other than that I just scored a goal that I was paid to do. Yeah. So for me, yeah, it was great, unbelievable first professional goal. You know, really happy, really excited. Um, so yeah, it was nice. Brilliant. So the the season ends on quite high for the club. New stadium is going to be developed the, the following yep. season you get the chance to to stay at the club and have your loan extended was that quite an easy decision for you at the time it was at the time I spoke to uh, to Gordon Strachan very briefly and he said yeah you can stay up there for another you know six months I think it was and they came up to Scotland for pre-season so I saw them uh, they played against Livingston Coventry play Livingston and I went there to say hello and, and see all the players and it was nice to see everyone as well so they all made a fuss of us and it was nice uh, um, it didn't quite go as as well in the second time as what it did in the first and I guess I kind of the way I, the way I looked at it was I was on a, I was on quite a crest of a wave it was all it happened very quickly and I knew it was quite a short-term thing so I wasn't there wasn't there was no real sort of having to get used to something but when you when I went up the second time there was the pre what you got for pre-season and then you start the season it was almost like oh right case okay, so this is this is a bit more um, of a change this is a bit you know it's a bit more permanent I think I got that I then got a little bit sort of like you know homesick you know I was only I was only 20 and no family no friends nothing you know mum and dad coming up sporadically to watch me play and then disappearing the very next you know the same day um, and leaving me pretty much on my own I'm not saying that's you know that that's not that's not copable but I but I didn't I don't think I accounted for that, um, and I think that's probably what had had a, had a massive impact on on probably my enthusiasm, not on my enthusiasm because I'm an enthusiastic footballer anyway, or was. But I think it kind of affected my performances. I I kind of had this nagging thought in my in my head, you know, I want to go home, and I didn't really listen to it. I didn't, I, or I didn't process it. I, I think it's probably the best way to use, best best word to use. Yeah. So you you ended up playing your last game against Dundee. Uh, on the twenty eighth of October ninety eight, yeah. and you return. You return to Coventry. Have you at that point got? I'm going to play first team now, Coventry. I'm ready. Or are you thinking that hasn't gone as well as I, I thought? And what's Gordon Strachan going to think? And yeah, I mean, my my return was kind of a. It was almost like a, um, because I didn't know where I stood. You know, I got back to the club, and it was a bit cold, a bit icy, and. I don't know whether it was the a, a perception or what. There just seemed to be almost like a void in between myself, the conversation between myself and Gordon Strachan. And then when I had it, it it wasn't very pleasant 
And I think it may have been along the lines of, you've, you've come back too early. We don't want you here. You should have stayed there. You should have, should have finished your loan. Why have you come back? We don't have football for you. And I think that was kind of the impression that I got. And that's why I was like, right, okay, I'll go straight back out on loan again. So I went back out on loan, I think within a couple of weeks. And that was when I went to Hull, I think around Christmas time. We hope you're enjoying this episode of Walking Down the Holbeath Road. We would also like to thank our sponsors at Inverkeething Hillfield Swifts 2017s. The Swifts are an SFA quality marked community group and have competitive teams for every age group from mini kickers through to amateur level football. So if you're interested in youth football, why not check out their website www.swiftsfc.com yep, So you join Hull and what's your experience as a off Hull at the time? Well, they were bot- rock bottom of Division Four, or the old Division Four, and they, it was it was it was really bizarre. It was almost like a bit of a bit of a shambles. You know, there was no real training facility. There was no real organisation structure. It was you know the manager played, so I did, I'd never experienced that before. Um, he was a nice guy, Warren Joyce, lovely guy, but I just think they were they were kind of looking for breaths of fresh air everywhere and I came in and, and I was quite a technical player you know I looked after the ball worked hard so I came to I come in and and tidied things up in the front but I didn't score didn't score any goals so I was kind of another 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 piece of the jigsaw that just didn't fit didn't quite fit properly so we, we, we I remember playing in a cup game against Wrexham and for in that game I, I, I just had a had a unbelievable game I played really well won everything in the air I was really competitive I think we ended up either winning or drawing I, th- I can't remember how the how the how the result went but all I remember was the feedback I got afterwards and my agent then was in touch with Brian Flynn and then that summer I then cut all my ties with everything I, I left Coventry um, officially and, and then was a free agent um, in the summer and I went to to Wrexham literally on without having a job or or anything just just on trial i remember going my first goal for Wrexham. we played a played an irish team in pre-season and the game was going okay it was like sort of backwards and forwards and then the balls dropped 20 22 23 yards out and they've hit it on the half volley and it just screamed straight into the top corner and that was it it all went right happy days and then they they put me ahead I mean they, they signed David Lowe that season um, Ian Stevens. they had centre forwards that signed and I was kind of and Andy Morell was there um, and I was I was tucked in behind these guys and I just fought my way into the team and then the first game of that season against Blackpool I scored on my debut um, and then that was it I was just off and running yeah am I right in saying you're a bit of a fan's favourite at Wrexham I was you know what for, for for three years, uh, for for the first year, I had an amazing, amazing first season. Second season was just was good, but it wasn't as good. Um, and then Flynn got the sack, so Brian Flynn got the sack. Um, but but yeah, I was I I, I was there. You know, I, there was a new new batch of youngsters coming through, and and we all just hit the ground running. Darren Ferguson came in and was the linchpin in the middle, and we just started to play, and it was great. Um, and then Flynn got we we had we had a really bad run of results. I think just after Christmas one in that season and he got the sack and then uh, Dennis Smith came in and he was just, he, he was just different. I had Brian Flynn, I had Kevin Rees, Kevin Rees, ex-England ex- international centre forward. So right up my street, Brian Flynn, nice guy, just really supportive. And it was just lovely. You had Joey Jones, who was just an amazing character, got everyone going. And it was that sort of threesome that just gave me a really sort of, yeah, just go and play, go and play. And some of the goals I scored were just, you know, I, just looking back, I was like, wow, you know, I, I really sort of did well there. And, it, and there was one season where I think Middlesbrough, were, who were in the Premier League, came looking. They watched us for three or four weeks. And I don't I don't know what happened between them, because Brian Robson came to watch us, to, yeah, for... for for a number of games and I know we had them in the FA Cup as well so it was it was, it was I don't know it was it was a it was a it was a really murky period and I know as well that during that time John Gorman who was at Swindon at the time um he tried to sign me 
and Wrexham turned it down. So there was there was there was things that had happened that I wasn't aware of. And when it started to filter through, my my sort of head started to started to change a little bit. I thought, well, why would you not let me experience my career if it's there? Just be honest with me. You know, if it's if you want to keep me, keep you know, say it. I don't really we don't need to leave, give you the choice. Because at the time I wouldn't have left, you know, because I was having such a good time and the football was great. But when you're not given the full story, you kind of think, well, what else am I not going to be told or what else is going to be kept from me? So, yeah, a little bit of a tricky one, that one. So you, when you leave Wrexham, you kind of go on a, a football journey to, to various clubs. You join Wickham and then Oxford. What's your memories yeah, of so, these kind of clubs? So, so, I went, so Wickham was the club I joined from Wrexham and that was supposed to be the platform to you know, catapult me back. You know, they they chased me for a number of years. Um, I get to Wickham and I hit the ground running again. So I scored on my debut. I think I scored four or five in six games. Um, and I was at the top of the top of the charts. And then my body started falling to pieces. Is the best way I could describe it. I had a had a niggle, had a niggle around Christmas in my knee, uh, my right knee. And it was Christmas Eve, I remember it. It just I, I went to pick a ball up and my knee just sort of snapped straight. You know, just like you know, I could like you jar your leg. And I was like, oh, you know, and I thought, okay. So I, I sort of shook it off and walked off. And then when I tried to run, it felt spongy. And I thought, oh, there might be a bit of swelling in there. And I looked down and my knee was like twice the size already. Uh, and But I played. I played through Christmas. I played up until February. And I played against Swindon and I scored against Swindon. And then I got drugs tested afterwards. And I'd taken some... Benelin, I think, cough medicine, <laughs> stupidly. Uh, but it's not got nothing in it, not no banned substance in it. But the physio made me feel rotten. He said, Yeah, well, you've probably ruined your career now. You're and and I was panicking, panicking, panicking. And then when it came out, I was fine. I I, I thought, you know what? I'm gonna have to get my knee sorted because I'm not gonna keep anything from anyone. This is not right. Get it sorted. So I went in, had a scan, and then I got the worst news I've ever had. Basically, um, my the inside of my knee, the, the the condyle in my knee, the femoral condyle had crumbled, and I needed a pretty major operation to repair it, and I possibly might not be able to walk again. So I I, I was I was like wow, I was twenty I was twenty six. How did you I deal with that? No, twenty five. I didn't. Uh, twenty five. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't hear what the surgeon said. He said to me, "You're not going to potentially not going to walk again." Da, da, da. Didn't hear it. I just thought, you know what? I don't, you don't know me. You're not going to tell me I'm not going to walk again. So I had the operation and I tried to walk <laughs> within, a, within a couple of days. I, went, I walked my dog. And then the physio said, get off your leg. You've got to, eight weeks, you've got to stay weightless. And he said, we're sending a machine around to your house. You've got, to, you've got to lie on the floor for eight hours a day. This machine bends and straightens your legs. He said, you've had your bone drilled. You know, it needs to repair. And then, then it starts to set in, you know, two or three weeks later, a month later, six weeks later, you're still doing the same thing. Watch your leg go from there to there. All the muscle go, everything starts to atrophy. Your body starts to starts to sort of bend and do things it should never done before. Did you and fall then, out of love with football, Craig, at that time? No, because I, not, not, not at that point. I came back from that injury and played. 18 months later, we're in pain. And within two, three weeks of coming back, the other one went exactly the same. So I had the same injury on the left leg. And I remember speaking to the physio on the phone and he said, uh, I said, I said, it's it's bad, isn't it? I said, the same. He went, well, you broke your leg, but that's not what we're worried about. I went, oh, right. I said, so I broke my leg. So I broke the the tip the tip of the fibula and also so it was a, it was a rotate rotation sort of fracture and stripped the lining of my left knee. Um, so I, I was I knew what was coming uh, back where I was eighteen months ago on the floor eight eight hours a day doing it again over and at that point something broke I think in me not, not I didn't know it had broken I just knew that I I, I had this little bit of am I really going to come back from this one? And that's the first, probably the first time I've doubted coming back, not to a point where it stopped me, but to a point where surely this is going to, this is going to hurt. But I recovered again. I came back again and played again. I scored against QPR on my return. 
Um, I come back. I, every injury, the, the two injuries I I, I, I got through, you know, three, almost the whole duration of my contract with Wickham, I spent injured apart from probably three months of it. I spent, spent injured. And I came back and for, on my return from coming back, Gorman was in, in charge, you know, and he took me, he, he got me back in the team. And he was really pushing for me to come back. He, this one, he told me all about the, the fact he tried to sign me at Swindon. And I, and I was really motivated. You know, he motivated, you know, he, I kind of, not forgotten because the, the pain in my knees, it was like shearing sort of daggers going through the centre. Every time I put my foot down, it was like a red hot poker, just going right through the centre, hitting a nerve and going, oh, you know, you, it's almost like feeling it. It wasn't until everything was warmed up and they were they were working okay in game that I that I could get rid of it. But then afterwards, the maintenance to to, to calm it down, cool it down, ice packs. This it was, it was just, it was hard. So I took the decision at twenty seven to retire from professional football, and I then came away from football altogether. So I'd been to Oxford United. I think it was Talbot at the time. Loved me, wanted to sign me. Injury, dodgy. Went to Barnet, same thing. Went to Stevenage, same thing. So, so even though I proved that I could play and compete, and, and I was going all around the country to different clubs, my injuries would not let me go. It wasn't that I, I was, I had a problem. It was the fact the clubs knew that I was technically written off as a player, and it was, it would have been a, would have been the sort of foolish of them to, 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 um, to bring me in. So yeah, I left. I left. I left football. Yeah. And what what are you thinking then at that point? Obviously, football has been your life. It's all you've you've ever done. What are you thinking? What am I going to do now? So I didn't do anything. A couple of years lost lost um, lost all all my all my um, investments. Lost my house. Uh, Mum died. Um, so all this in the space of a couple of years, two years, my world just went fell apart. Literally exploded, uh, compounded. It was horrible. I lived. I lived it. I didn't know how low it was at the time, but I just got through it. We, you know, we we were me and my wife. We obviously, we got married at twenty eight. We were trying to. Have to we were also told we couldn't have children. So it was, you know, lots lot of dynamics being thrown into the into the mixer, which was very difficult to process. Any all yeah. that was difficult to process. So I, so I so I then came away from football altogether, and I went on the building site. So when I worked for my father-in-law, when I worked for a friend, and just got as far away from it as I could, you know, picked up a few bad habits which wasn't which weren't great, and I kind of just just went uh, enough's enough, you know. Football given me so much, so much joy, and to have it taken like that, it was very tough. And then just just before my. 30th birthday so I was 29 my mum had just died and I just had this this I, was, I remember studying my, my mother-in-law's kitchen and I was like what so I said this can't be it this can't be it I'm, I'm done thinking this is how my life's going to turn out so I made a decision there and then and I was going to come back into football but on a coaching capacity I was going to go and join a coaching company and become a coach and educator and, and pass some information on and try and educate people uh, and give them some of the tools that I've been able to use to 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 go through some of the most horrific experiences a footballer can have. And I, and I know people have it, their own experiences, and they are far worse than what I've experienced. But to have what I've had and then have it ripped away from me twice, you know, not just once but twice, it was it was very difficult to to, to deal with. So I got I went back in. Got educated, went back to Open University, became a sports therapist, uh, became a coach, became an educator, became a teacher, and I set my own, set a business up, um, sports coaching business. And by the time I was thirty-five, I'd achieved what I needed to achieve, um, and built it to to what I wanted to build it to. I was really, 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 really happy with it. But something was missing. Something was still missing. So, so I went back into. I went back to. I, I, I played again. So I went back. I went back into football so I started in the midst of all of this I went back and played on a Saturday for a local team Haddenham and when I went from Haddenham a guy called Justin Merritt who, who owns Oxford City he and not at the time but he was the manager he took me to Oxford City I played for Oxford City and I was like mm, 
it was all right, you know, um, it was a nice level, but it wasn't quite serious enough. So I pushed again. A manager who'd been chasing me for a number of years, Francis Vines, was at um, Car Sholton. And I went to Car Sholton and then I then started to enjoy my football again. I had no pain. I could run, I could move. For some reason, everything had settled down. Everything, all my aches and pains had gone. The pains in my knees had gone or to a point where I could be okay. I knew I had to do to do certain things it's in terms of maintenance, but I was happy. It wasn't it wasn't debilitating. I'd probably lose a day a week after a game where I couldn't sort of move or or my or I was quite stiff. I got back, I I ended up at Woking uh, a couple of years ago and we went to a playoff fight. I got I got so I went in there and they were eleventh when I joined them. And they said we need to win every game or at least not lose or draw or win. And I went in and we just went bang. I, I scored goal after goal after goal after goal. I scored on my home day after 26 seconds. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's on you. It's still on you. I still I still watch that video. I, and I don't, I, I'm not too proud to say it because it just reminds me of yeah. when you're told something and then you, you sort of, everything falls apart. And then you have enough about you to turn it around and go back to where you were or at least a level or two below where you were and do something like that. The it fact just, you were in such a bad place at one point yeah. and then be in such a positive mindset. Oh, it's incredible. You admit, I mean, the two guys that were that were the manager and assistant, they we just, we just used to crack up because I was thirty five. You know, I'd, I'd recovered. <laughs> I'd been I'd been abandoned, thrown away, and I'd come in and and and, we, and and was just doing things that they couldn't do. These young kids that were in playing in the team, they couldn't do it. They couldn't get themselves in the right place to score. They couldn't take the opportunities that I was going to take. You know, I was scoring diving headers away, you know, away away from home on a Tuesday night, and I was like, "This is brilliant!" You know, it was amazing. It was amazing to experience it, and I became a, very quickly became a fan's favourite there. Um, they loved this. They just it wasn't the fact that I worked hard. The manager's specific, explicit instructions to me were, "Don't run. I want you in the box scoring goals. If you run, I'll bring you off." I was, like, I was like, okay. I was standing in the middle. It was brilliant, and it was. And we we, we played golf together, the, the three of us. You know, because I was that little bit older. We sat, we just had a good laugh. It was a laugh. It was the, the enjoyment came back so fast. Um, and then they got they got the sack from Woke in the following season, and then another guy came in. And I was like, you know, I'm done. You know, I'm I'm actually really happily done now. This yeah. is this is I finished really on my terms. So I've gone all the way back from probably the age of 33 to 36 and played those years and con- gone from team to team, gone back up pretty much the ranks that any young player would, would love to do, but doing it in a way that's 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 um, defined what I would call my own personal odds. It was, uh, yeah, it was lovely. <laughs> so that, that's the end of your football career, close that mm. chapter. But what you kind of touched on it earlier on, Craig, what, what is it you're doing now? So I mentioned my coaching company. So my coaching company has done a 10-year stint and that's kind of coming to a little bit of an end because I don't I don't necessarily believe that coaching companies outside of football environments is really the the answer. Yes, you can provide um, your own personal brand and, and people can buy into your own ethics and stuff like that. But kids kids need pathways. They need to see a progression and things and, and a way of doing things. So I'm, I'm at a local club. Um, they're at step four. Um, so it's four off the, off the league. Um, that you know, really amazing setup. They've got facilities to die for. League clubs would die for this. They've got, they've got their own ground enclosed. It's got stadium pitches. The pitch is amazing. They've got three outside pitches, a brand new uh, state of the art 3G pitch. That just, it's just been built and a mini one that's next to it. It's it's all stuff. It's, it's it's an amazing little complex. My I've been tasked with junior development from six to sixteen, which is which is challenging, and, and it's it's not challenging in the sense that you know that the, the the kids don't want to play. It's more the politics side of things from opinion. So opinions in football will never change. Everyone has, everyone has an opinion in football. I've got no problem with that. But let me do my job. My my job is to develop the way I see it and the philosophy that I've created at the club to try and get take the club forward. 
And then there's, there's, there's just blocks at different levels. You get your people sort of saying, well, I'm going to do it this way. I'm like, mm, okay, can you just do it this way? Because it works. And, you know, so that type of thing. That's what I do sort of afternoons and, and evenings and weekends. And then during the day, which is what I'm really passionate about is is delivering mental you know mental health mental changes positive mindsets change it's just being building building people to to believe that whatever they're faced with is not what they think they're faced with it's just a mind it's it's your mind telling you something there's no barriers in life I don't see any barrier in anything that anyone can do you know if you're told one thing and you believe it then it will happen if you're told something and you don't believe it it won't happen trust me your mind is more powerful than you ever give it credit for and you, you just you've just got to use it correctly and that's what I, I so i i've built techniques programs courses to identify how the mind works and, and to unlock potential i'm a fully i'm a fully qualified hypnotherapist i'm a fully qualified UEFA licensed coach. I'm a fully qualified uh, NLP master practitioner. So everything about language and and how how to unlock potential is is um, is where I'm at. Brilliant. Sounds fantastic, Craig. Super. Oh, would, uh, would you like an opportunity to get back into senior football if if the opportunity was there? You know, you know what, um, Graham, Graham Potter at, at Brighton. He uses similar types of techniques that I that I use. I would love to try, you know, because because I affect so many so many kids, so many youngsters, and just 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 changing perspective from one thing to another is so easy with children because they're placid, you know, they've got this um, neuroplasticity that's easy to change. Adults is a lot 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 harder, you know. There's a lot lot more wired pathways that that, that takes a takes a bit more of a major shift to change. But if I was given an opportunity, I'd love to go back into professional football and and be somebody that that can develop players and, and and give them this this ridiculous resilience that nothing nothing is impossible because it isn't you know a lot of people a lot of people are, are asked questions you know only only 0.001% of players make it and like well that's that's a myth you know if you believe that then you you won't make it because if you if you make that your your reason for not doing it then that's a strong enough reason. But you've got to say, I'm going to be that 0.001%. That's me. If you believe that, you'll do it. So there's, you know, it's it's not, I can't do this. It's how can I? Show me how. Give me some Give me some techniques to do that. Do you think if you at 16, 17 at Coventry had the mindset you have now, it would have been a totally different career? Funny enough, I had that mindset to get into Coventry. The, the problem I had was accountability and that's 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 the the key word for any anything you need to be held accountable and i, and I mean for everything so what you're doing it is it the right thing are you making right the, the good the best choices i wouldn't i don't think i'd have left them firmly if i had someone like me saying well let's think think about this logically what football are you going to get at the level you're going to get it at somewhere else and the opportunities you've got right now I know you might be feeling a little bit worried, a little bit frightened, but remember, this is a very short period of time. In the next three months, you've got this, you know, and, and really lay it out logically. No one yeah. did that for me. You know, I was a 20-year-old kid panicking because, I, you know, I wasn't getting the first team. I was I was in the reserve team. I was thinking, well, I may as well go and play in the Coventry reserve team. There was, yeah, you know, I knew the two managers were talking to each other, but, but I wasn't being told that. You know, all I needed was just some reassurance that no, no, you're fine. Stay where you are. It doesn't work like that. You've got to have you've got to have the, the ability to step back from a situation and assess it and go. You know what? Take your emotion out of it. You, you've been told to go here for six months. Stay there for six months. It's a very short period of time. You'll get yeah. more from your experience doing that than you, than you wouldn't or you would have or wouldn't have ordinarily done. So that to me was, in hindsight, probably was 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 one of the things that. I didn't have, but having said that, coming home and playing in games for Hull and then experiencing what I experienced for them, it kind of set up the next stage of my career. But then I wouldn't have known whether I'd have gone that way with Dunfermline and kept going and stayed in the Premier League or doing this has, has done that. So it was kind of a I don't know which 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 one was. Well, I, I mean, I never know, but I think having that accountability is yeah. is so important to, to know really 
what the right thing and wrong thing to do is. Yeah, brilliant, Craig. Uh, just before we finish, we're going to do a, a little feature we, we do on every episode. So it's called the top five. So okay. this applies to your time at, at the pars only. Um, okay. So it's probably obvious some of these answers, but the most memorable game you played in? Uh, my first one, really. That to me was... was um, Based on the interaction that I had when I came on the pitch, it was against against Rangers. But that was, oh, yeah. that was my most my most memorable um, thought because it was my first ever start, first ever game in professional football. I mean, crikey, you know that that was so memorable. It really was. Yeah, superb. And who, who was your best mate at the club during your time there? Richard Huxford, I think his name yeah. was. I remember, yeah, so Richard Huxford. Brilliant. I think Richard's now in America. Coaching. Is he? I think so. Yeah, I think wow. so. He uh, had that manner about him. He had that manner about him. He was calm, you know, a nice guy, really nice guy, well spoken. Just, just yeah, he was a nice guy. Brilliant. The best player you played against? Against? Yep, Stan. Oh no, no, that that this is just a Dunfermline. In Dunfermline, yeah, Ooh, in Scotland. Okay, okay. In memory, probably Larson. Probably. Good choice. Mm. Favorite stadium you played in? Oh, Parkhead. Parkhead. Oh, goodness me, yeah. that When I came on, I mean, we got battered first game of the season, but oh, what a stadium. What, what what an atmosphere. Unveiling the flag as well. It was, yeah, it does make your hair stand in the a little bit. We we spoke to Ian Westwater, the goalkeeper, last okay. last episode, and, and his answer was the exact same. The exact same game. He said it's the best atmosphere he's ever experienced at a, at a football game. You can't better that. I mean, it doesn't matter who you support. It was, it, it was, it was almost fake. When we were warming up, it was almost fake because you saw this this blanket of of, of people around. I used to, you know, you kind of just got oh, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people. And I, I remember in that game, I remember uh, picking the ball up in our box. I mean, they were they were tremendous on that day, and they were worthy worthy winners in five 0 We 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 were just so all over the place. Um, it was quite a disjointed performance. But I remember picking the ball up and running down the right wing, um, getting down the long, the long side uh, on the right side, and you just hear this, this like ah, yeah, trip over, ah, all this type of rubbish things, and obviously there are a few more expletives than that, and it was weird because you just think, crikey, these people got pure hatred for me, based on two games ago I did what I did, and again I was only after the game, and you and you kind of reflect and you kind of think, oh my god, yeah. I, completely forgot that two games ago I did that to you <laughs> yeah. so yeah ah, they, won, they won the league in the end so it's all fine yeah it wasn't, it wasn't a problem and, and just to wrap up what, what's your your favourite memory of your time spent at East End Park it was just after I scored just after I scored it just just the, everyone coming and just jumping on me and the, the, the sound yeah I mean that, that to me that experience was yeah, I'll never forget that. Never forget that. Brilliant, Craig. Well, that's us for, for this episode. So thanks again. That's been an absolute cracking episode. Yeah, you, you know what? Um, I I know a lot of what happened sort of in, in the middle part is is quite morbid in a way, but it you don't know you don't know how strong you really are until, until you get to a point where you are seriously tested, you know, and I think People don't realize that you have one life. You have one life, and if you and if you let things happen, they will certainly happen. But they but but on the other side of it, if you if you make things happen, then you get the rewards from that as well. So this, it, it, it's yeah, fond memories of everything. What what I've learned from through successes and failures is it's priceless. Fantastic. I think a lot of people listen to this, Craig, will really appreciate the fact that you were in a bad place, but you've got out of it. And I think mm. nowadays, so many people are struggling. And it's oh, quite massively. inspirational, the, the fact that you got out of it now, you've got a really positive life and there is more than just being in that bad place. There is. I mean, like I say, I, I now do more for other people and I spot I spot where they are, the levels at which they've, they're at. And there's no better feeling than that, watching somebody's you know persona, their aura, their body language change when they know that there's hope some people don't realize that that hope is 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 is, uh, is everything you know you have to hope 
and make things and make things better. They're not just going to happen on them by themselves. But I think having that that support is vital, and, and knowing there's people out there that can help. Brilliant, Craig. And uh, thanks again for for your time. And you're more than welcome back to East End Park at any time. I'm sure. Well, uh, yeah. I mean, I'd sort of, I know I won't take too too much time, but. Um, I've said this to Avril that I, I want to come back up and, and at least see her. Um, I really regret not seeing seeing Bob before he passed, um, and the really warm sort of sort of house they, they they gave me. So yeah, that's one thing that I I, I truly need to and I, I'm going to try and make every effort to do um, is, is get up and see Avril. Good man. Well, the former players' association are more than happy to. To take you to a game, so just let us know. Oh, I tell you what, I'll, I'll, um, I, I will, I will hold you to that because um, it'd be nice to have a weekend away, uh, go to a game, see see old friends, and and just have a just have a general generally nice time. Good man. Well, all the best, Craig, and there. Uh, thanks again. Thank you for listening. Remember to subscribe to this podcast, which is available on all popular platforms such as Apple, iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Thanks to our guest in this episode of Walking Down the Holbeef Road. This podcast was produced by Jan Mokiewicz and music supplied by Stuart Dusty Miller. We look forward to speaking to another former par in the next episode. 